0: Hello and welcome back to Pictorial and FM. I'm Quinn Rose and I didn't go to art school, but I'm still here to learn about art
1: anyway. And I'm Betty. I also didn't go to art school, but I'm also here to learn about art. And sometimes I talk about art that disappears. I am really
0: excited to hear about this. You know, when you, when I saw that you were going to do this topic, I was like, didn't we talk about this? And I was like, wait, no, we talked about people throwing away art exhibits by
1: accident. <laughs> so, you know, what's funny is that's part of how I got inspired to do this topic. There was a while ago, it was, In episode 56, Museum Mishaps, we talked about a part of an art exhibit that got thrown out by a cleaner because they thought it was trash. Um, So that's an example of art that disappears. (laughs) I believe this was Gustav Metzger's auto-destructive art, um, or it's part of his auto-destructive art series. And in it, there was a garbage bag but that's a part of the art but a cleaner thought it was garbage and threw it out but in any case it was replaced um but th- this is was a part of a this recreation of this artwork called the first public demonstration of autodestructive art which has a bunch of other autodestructive art artworks and one of the other uh one of the other pieces was that there was this big Sheet of nylon, and um, the artist basically sprayed hydrochloric acid solution all over it. And over time, obviously, the acid is going to eat through the fabric, and then it slowly disappears. So there's lots of different types of auto-destructive art. And when I started looking into it, there's obviously lots of art that just like explodes or like is, is like the garbage bag is thrown out. But specifically today, I want to talk about artworks that disappear over a slow period of time
0: okay i am so intrigued by this topic
1: yeah and it was partially also inspired by the very last episode we did which there was the artwork by and now i'm probably going to mess up this name too um i believe is banu janetulu the balloon artwork that was filled with helium and then um, it was mylar letters and then over time the air was let out and then it kind of disintegrated as well so that's another example of basically artwork that falls apart but it but it happens over a slow period of time
0: yes absolutely I I love it especially when it's the point is the disintegration it's like when it's in full bloom or like when the initial thing is created, it's not even necessarily, the, the, the intention of the art is not clear until it begins to decay.
1: Yeah, it it's interesting because uh, working at an art gallery for, uh, you know, almost a decade, I came across a lot of conservationists and they always talk about preserving art because everything discerns grace over time or over a very long period of time. But there are some artists who intentionally want their artworks to die over time, basically, and not necessarily want it to be preserved. And I find that just topic fascinating. And as you know, as as you can tell, we've already talked about this before, just as a part of other, other topics. Back to the Gustav Metzger piece. Um, So yeah, basically this, Like there's a lot of different messages that you can take away from, you know, like a fabric that's just melting um, or being corroded by the acid. And the artist like like he did a lot of different other types of art that um, disintegrates and a part of like what. Like he's expressing, could is really about like degradation and you know things that humans have no control over. And he was working in around like the 1960s when you know the Cold War was happening and there was a lot of like conflict in the world and there still is. And um, he these days uh, like he actually or his later works ended up addressing these other conflicts around the world. But basically, a part of or that series of artworks is. The artworks itself is disintegrating, but he's talking about, like, you know, a wider societal type of, like, messages is what he's he was conveying. I see, yeah. So another artwork I saw, actually, this was almost 10 years ago. Um, I was actually in Miami in the Perez Art Museum. I might have actually also talked about this piece before, but we've done so many episodes at this point, I can't really remember, but it might have I might have just mentioned it in passing. There's a lot of artworks that this artist has done over a period of over 20 years, and um, her name is uh, Sigalit Landau, and she's an Israeli artist. Um, so just kind of looking at some of these images you see on the page, um, can you describe or what you... Do you want to describe what you think you see? And then I'll let you know what it is unless you're reading the text that's on the page. <laughs> well, these look very cool. I mean, I
0: can see just from the title of this page that this is related to the Dead Sea, um, which makes a lot of sense because basically everything on this page is like what I would imagine mermaids wear and <laughs> live in and stuff. Um, it <laughs> looks like it honestly just looks like material made out of seafoam um i'm seeing a dress uh there's like a kind of chandelier lampshade things um yeah and it's it's, it's like if seafoam foam was a building material that's what it looks like.
1: <laughs> yeah, it 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 does look very foamy from these pictures but actually so when I first saw one of these pieces which I think is one of the chandeliers in the picture in one of the later pictures seeing it in person you can see that it looks like these little tiny white crystals that are encrusted like on this chandelier or the chandelier is made out of these little crystals. And so these are actually salt crystals um, that formed on whatever pieces that was dipped into the Dead Sea. So the one I saw in Miami was the artist used barbed wire to make it look like a chandelier and then dropped the barbed wire in the Dead Sea and left it there for a while and then fished it out. And then all this salt basically encrusted on on the barbed wire. And then so these other works, like some of it is literally a dress, and then there, there are like lampshades, and basically a lot of different objects that she just submerges into the Dead Sea and pulls it out after a while. Um, and because they're encrusted in salt, whatever material is going to get eaten away by the salt similar to the acid we talked about uh, before this. That over time these objects like fall apart because the salt just eats through them. I think the chandelier piece I saw—I'm not even sure if it still exists because I saw this like, like ten years ago. I have no idea how long it takes for salt to eat through stuff. Um, but I, I did remember when I was there, the gallery guide there did say the artist has expressed do not conserve this artwork to make it try to last longer than whatever amount of time it will last naturally being worn away by the salt so they did say yeah this artwork is is not going to exist in a number of years so
0: this is so cool not only is this stuff beautiful they like just visually it's really interesting to look at and i imagine like in person even more so because it's such a textural kind of art piece um but it also like the the deterioration of it is a really interesting way to bring a piece of the natural world directly into an art gallery um because you have it's like this is nature nature is a cycle of life and death and this is the piece that i'm bringing into this um like the the quote unquote artificial world that humans create in which we preserve things and we can stave off the decay of of certain things like i'm sure the technology exists to create uh, to, to make these things last longer or to create more permanent versions of them. But instead, um, she's saying, no, we have to embrace the way that these things naturally die and we have to face them and actually see them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And what you're saying is, I think essentially the message she wants people to get out of it, or at least one of them, because um, so as I mentioned, she is an Israeli artist and sh- the Dead Sea, there's a reason specifically why she's using that as a, the subject matter she's exploring, um, because over her lifetime she's basically witnessed this man-made disaster, which is the lake um, that is uh, basically the what where the water level has dropped, um, apparently by a meter or three feet over just like in the last few decades, which is during her lifetime, and like slowly this you know this body of water is is disintegrating like literally in front of our eyes and um you know to her like it's something that she's like thinks is beautiful and and we we should try to preserve it but due to you know many uh, aspects that are out of our control or in control of some people just not us um it's it's you know it is probably something that's not necessarily gonna gonna be around for much longer so in a way like she's bringing that awareness to maybe you know we should think about trying to preserve these natural landmarks but in a way it's like maybe maybe we can't it's about just an acceptance and an
0: awareness of the state of the natural world and because if you are not facing what's out there in the world that you have no ability to make decisions of about it but here it's saying like okay like we're looking at this art piece and we're seeing the way that it, it is decaying i wish there were more images of these pieces as they decay because these are the, the images that are in this new story are very like you know the fresh the really the really nice looking ones um And whether or not that's something that is part of a natural life cycle that has to happen or it's something that is an effect of climate change um, and should be interceded upon by humans in order to mitigate those effects, you can't make those decisions unless you are able to face them. And so I think that this art piece really plays into that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that actually segues pretty nicely into the next piece that I was going to talk about, um, which also relates to climate change. So this piece, or these are also a series of pieces that have uh, been made by this artist named Andy Goldsworthy. Um, And um, I think they're just called Ice Sculptures or Ice Sculpture Series. Um, And he's been making them since the 1980s um, or like the late 1980s. Um, Basically, the first few pieces he created were these massive snow rings He made it on Ellesmere Island, which is in Canada, and that's within the Arctic Circle, basically the North Pole. Um, And then so um, these sculptures apparently mark the positions of the North Pole. Um, I'm not sure if this is like magnetic north or true north. I don't even know exactly how that works, but basically one of those. Um, And But apparently this is one where if you um, are at add any of these sculptures, your the, the, the direction will always be on the magnet, will always be pointing towards south. Or if you have one of those magnets that spins, it's just going to spin and be freaking out. Um, so in any case, um, so yeah, so this piece is made out of the environment and probably... In 1989, and maybe a few years after that, like or around that time, these sculptures wouldn't melt in the summer because the temperature wouldn't be warm enough. Like it's the Arctic is was frozen for you know um, all year round. Um, but of course, like over time, a lot of these sculptures have melted or disintegrated. And this work, I really is is directly um commenting, you know, on cl- climate change. There is a quote from Andy Goldsworthy where um he did say, you know, the North Pole it it belongs to no one. It is the earth's common and ever-changing landscape in which whatever I make will soon disappear. So, anyway, I just, you know, it it's to me it's it's kind of beautiful like to think about that in a way, but then it's also kind of kind of sad because you know, that's what's happening.
0: It is hard to have a more direct commentary on climate change than by putting up ice and being like, it's melting now. <laughs> yeah. These things do look really cool. They feel very much but there's something almost Stonehenge energy about them, even though they aren't shaped like the the pieces in Stonehenge, but there's just four circular gates um i like it has a very stargate <laughs> vibe to yeah. it where i feel like if i stood in the middle of them i would be teleported into something else or if i step through one of them i would enter into a- another parallel universe um, they just seem like something magical or science fiction is going on
1: that you know that that's interesting it does it does kind of look like portally um in a way. And I did read that I think the artist was inspired to make shapes like this. So it's kind, it's almost like a, these like, it's a circle where these bricks are basically supporting each other because it's built in that way. So apparently he, um, when he was uh, on Ellesmere Island, he learned from the local Inuit population, basically igloo building techniques, which is like stacking these snow bricks, like in, in an arched way so that they you know support each other and and can can be a functioning structure and the reason why like the, this artwork just really caught my attention was I literally was in none of it um you know not in nineteen eighty nine but um in the early two thousands and I also um with some of the Inuits who showed us how to uh build an igloo and I just remind- remembered being just so fascinated by by the structure um or and by the technique so uh, yeah. So it's kind of I, I can see why he was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. I want to make something out of it right now. So
0: is that just like legally required for Canadian residents? You, <laughs> you know- <laughs> just have to go
1: and, <laughs> you know, what was funny. I am one of the few Canadians who has actually been to none of it. And if anything, I'm probably one of the few Canadians that's actually been to any of the territories. Like most people I know, like, it's just, there's, it's so remote. It's very hard to get there. Um, and I was only able to go because of like a school trip that was sponsored by the Rotary Club. Um, but it should be actually, I think it should be mandatory for Canadians because it is a very interesting place. And, um, you know, I, I. You know, I loved it there, and I wish I have a chance to go back. But yeah, most people, it's uh, it's difficult to be able to, to actually do that. Yeah, I bet that. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool experience. Yeah, and of course, over time, it'll get more difficult to do that because the th- it's melting literally. <laughs> so yeah, so get up there while you can. <laughs> Cheerful. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway so the next piece also has to do with melting but in a in a um, slightly different way so yeah I'll, I guess I'll get you to describe these uh, images as well before I get into what they are about
0: oh this is interesting looking
1: <laughs> yeah
0: okay so it's actually so the first image that I see it just looks like a very traditional sculpture it's just really big I'm um, in the middle of this huge empty room i am seeing this giant sculpture and there's a couple other random chairs and things around in this room and i'm like oh what am i looking at and then i scroll down to the next image and it turns out that all of these are candles these are gigantic candles so over like including the chairs i guess so all all of these weird different chairs and these what look like classical sculptures and then a kind of more contemporary sculpture of a, of a guy. All of these things are candles and so they melt over time. I have a lot of questions about this. My first question is, are the candles lit while people are walking around looking at the chairs?
1: So yes, I, I believe the candles are lit. I There's probably like fences and stuff, or I, I don't actually see it in this these pictures, but I think there are ways to prevent people from, from like, going up to them and lighting themselves on fire. Because
0: if there is anything I know, it's that people in art museums are going to touch the art. It's, <laughs> yeah. like, the one rule, and yet the number of times I've seen someone just touch a sculpture, and I'm like, just don't
1: do that. <laughs> oh, I used to see it all the time, and it, was, it bothered me so much. And I'm just always like, why... Why are there these people? But yes, um, I I believe there were ways to, to prevent people from doing that, but I wouldn't be surprised if someone went and tried to touch them anyway. Um, but yes, I believe these were lit. So this is actually from the uh, Venice Biennale, uh, 2011, actually. Um, but this artist, Urs Fischer also creates these wax um, candle figures of all different kinds. And these were just the particular pieces uh, he made for the 2011 um, Venice Biennale. But um, basically, yeah, this, these ones were like sometimes he recreates some sort of classical like Renaissance or Baroque um, sculpture. And sometimes it's like a contemporary person um that he would sculpt and yeah sometimes it's a chair what happens is it's at the beginning of the installation all the candles are lit and they're just left to burn I believe the whole time maybe even when the show is closed and hopefully the fire marshal is involved (laughs) to make sure that this doesn't um get out of hand Um, and then yeah, over a period of, so this one was over a period of three months, it it just melted away. So um, it started out in that, what it looks like in the first picture, and then three months later, it's just, they're just puddles on the ground. Wow, that is
0: such an interesting concept. I, I can't imagine putting this much work into something designed to melt away in a matter of months.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. These sculptures they look beautiful and they look like they like they took a lot of work. But yeah, they as far as I know, they no longer exist or if they do, they're puddles. And I don't even know, again, I don't even know how this artist would sell their work um because it, it, either they don't or they sell the puddles at the end.
0: Yeah, imagine being like, "Oh yeah, I bought I bought this new piece. It's this giant <laughs> chair candle <laughs> that's in the middle of my living room." Don't sit on it. It's wax. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, anyway, I I don't know what these works mean, but they they seem cool. <laughs>
0: so. You know, memento more, We all die. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes an art piece is just about death. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um. So the this next piece, um, uh, that I put in there is actually probably the first. Artwork that I like I ever saw that I knew of that is an example of this like something that's disintegrating. Um, so this is an artwork that I first saw in I believe 2007 or 2008. Um, it was first displayed at the Power Plant um, Contemporary Art Gallery in Toronto, and then subsequently it was purchased by the AGO, and then. It was um I believe it's still in the AGL's permanent collection. Yeah, if you look at that first picture, um do you have any sense of what you think it is? Hey, Betty, yeah I hate this. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> this is so gross. Okay, so it's just it looks like a sculpture of I'm assuming something something related to organic material. Um but it looks like kind of like a person with a shield holding a shield in front of them or something like that like it's a humanoid shape but there, the features are not clear at all and it's covered in honestly what looks like mold it's gross.
1: <laughs> it is very gross and you don't have to look at it for too much longer and I've in fact closed the window. <laughs> I had to look at this in real life. Oh no. <laughs> so if, if that helps. Um, but yeah so it actually the the name of the artwork is actually infestation piece um, which you describe, by the way you described it is pretty much what it is so the the shape of the sculpture um was inspired by a henry moore piece called warrior with shield which was this sculpture that's supposed to be like a blobby abstract representation of a warrior with shield um and then so the uh, this other artist, Simon Starling, in two thousand and seven, recreated this Henry Moore piece, which was originally made in nineteen fifty four, um, and then he took this. Um, I believe it's made of bronze. Um, and then, oh wait, sorry, it, the original work uh, cast was made of bronze, but he made it out of steel. Uh, and uh, so Simon Starling's piece is made of steel. So he grabbed this and. Uh, another, instead of dipping it into the Dead Sea, uh, Simon Starling dipped it into Lake Ontario, uh, which is the lake that Toronto sits on. And um, I believe it was down there for a few months and then again pulled it back up. And when it was pulled back up, it had been infested by these organisms called zebra mussels. And zebra mussels are these... Um, Uh, mussels uh, that originate from the Black Sea, but uh, they uh, would cling on to ships, and then these ships somehow eventually made it to Lake Ontario, and then the zebra mussels basically uh, are these um, invasive species that have has been devastating Lake Ontario since the mid 1980s. They're still there and I have seen them like all over the place. Um I have a friend who actually got like was cut by one and was like bleeding like crazy once when we were at the beach. Um so basically it's it's something that has been terrorizing Ontario um for for decades. Um and then when Simon Starling made this piece, it, it then latched onto the um The the sculpture, and anyway, it was then um, displayed at the power plant. But they actually had to close the exhibition like a few months ahead of time because it it got further infested by moths. Like as in, because of the zebra mussels that were rotting on the sculpture, the moths were attracted into the gallery, and then they had to shut it down. Uh Oh no. Anyway, I don't really know why the AGO botic they knew that it was so um problematic, but this piece actually ended up being a part of um this display um in one of the one of the floors of the AGO. So for uh for a while they had done these um kind of like teaching people or t- telling people that the conservation department exists basically by uh, building a room for the conservationists in the gallery with glass so people can see what they're doing. And sometimes they're treating like a regular sculpture or a painting, but this time it was the artist trying to figure out how to like conserve this particular piece, which was um, the zebra mussels were falling off at this point uh, in 2008, 2009-ish and then the uh, conservationists had to figure out how to glue the zebra mussels back on but because the sculpture had rusted she was like she couldn't figure out how to do it, and then basically had to make her own glue resin out of like a bunch of different random chemicals like I don't really know how it works to glue something back onto rusted metal which people normally don't do
0: oh my god <laughs> yeah. I uh as a person who works in a library where there's a like a with rare books and conservation um <laughs> what an absolute nightmare i cannot <laughs> yeah. imagine
1: yeah it's like conservation is difficult enough already and then you have contemporary artists who bring like living things that are dying and like rotting into the gallery i'm that's sure that's not I'm... what you want no it really isn't i'm sure a lot of the um, administration were not so happy with having to deal with this but um i i will say that like Wow, I would not want to be someone who has to deal with figuring out how to keep and transport and conserve this piece. Um, so, I, I, I was, I guess there is a point, or at least I think there is one. <laughs> so, um, Henry Moore was uh, this uh, English artist who um, was known for. Um, creating uh, works that were basically inspired by his life experience, which was that he lived through a World War I and World War II. And specifically um, after World War II, like he, a lot of people he knew um, came back from the war um, like disfigured basically. And so he for a while made these sculptures of just, you know, disfigured People because that was his experience and what he saw. Um, anyway, eventually, th- this huge Henry Moore collection somehow made it to Toronto, even though Henry Moore is British, um, because the um, Tate uh, Museum in London wouldn't take his works for some reason, or he-, he was donating basically his entire body of work to the Tate and Tate- the Tate didn't want it. So the AGO was like, we'll take it. <laughs> So we got, like, hundreds of these giant sculptures uh, in the AGO, and also the City of Toronto bought a bunch of his works. Basically, that is to say, a lot of people in Toronto, like, grew up seeing these sculptures just all over the place, in the city, as well as, you know, in our art galleries. So it's kind of this... In a way, it feels like these works are just like in a part of our consciousness. But then anyway, he's he's was mixing it with this this other type of like invasion, which was um, zebra mussels. Um, anyway, it, it, like in a way, like from again, it it was for me, it had a lot of meaning because, you know, it was mixing like Henry Moore, which is someone I knew really well with these, like, zebra muscles things, which is also something that I know really well, but in a totally different context. Um, and, yeah, it was just really interesting to to bring attention to, the, to these things. But, again, you know, I don't have to be the one who conserves these works. So.
0: <laughs> it's like I understand that this is a really cool piece, and it is also – bringing attention to a very serious issue um, but also (laughs) you
1: yeah yeah and again I don't actually know what the state of this artwork is either because it hasn't been on view I think since maybe like 2013 or 2014 something like that and um, again like maybe it's beyond saving at this point I have no idea (laughs) oh yeah i probably at this point (laughs) yeah so Anyway, I would say, yeah, like a lot of these artworks are, yeah, like intent. The artists made them with the intention of having them just disintegrate. And sometimes the people try to save it. Sometimes people are just like, we'll just let it die because that is what it's meant to be. Wow. Yeah. That's a message in itself. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, um, yeah, there's so there's a lot of other um, examples of this, of course, but these are just some of the examples, uh, some of the works that, you know, I knew about and found really interesting. Um, but I'm sure, you know, there's lots of other lots of other types of work like this that we can come across and maybe we will in the future.
0: All of these have been so interesting and so different. There are so many different ways that artists have engaged with this concept, I find it so interesting how many of these are really just about bringing nature into art um, and in a way that like so much about art over the years of humans making it has been about representing nature. That's one of the biggest themes in all of art history. And, but then there's this separate but related idea of what if it literally was just nature? (laughs) Um, And I do think that there is I think there's a reason why that's such a a salient idea to contemporary artists in this concept of like, we live in a world where nature is very unstable and humans have had a, a negative effect on the balance of the natural world. And as we're all asking ourselves right now how we can regain that balance and what we can do to make a difference, I think part of that question is looking at the way that the natural life cycles of nature actually happen, and what those actually look like in these different forms, um, whether they be like invasive zebra mussels or they be the the salts of the Dead Sea, like there are all these different forms. And it, um, even just like the concept of ice melting, we have freezers, but outside in <laughs> the world, when it gets warm, ice melts. And these things that are so simple, but really do matter.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and that's why like I, I also I find all these different representations really fascinating because it brings attention to these things that you wouldn't normally think about. Because when people think about climate change, of course, you're thinking about like you know the sea level rising or just get it being really hot or you know like extreme weather. But there are so many other things like you know. T- t- degradating landscapes or like bodies of water or invasive species Um, and just you know a number of other things that are very specific and may not get all the attention but but is still really important that should be like addressed or at least paid attention to in some way Um, and I think it's like these artworks um, and a lot of different other works that address other things in nature like do bring the attention to
0: well thank you for bringing my attention to all of these
1: (laughs) you're welcome and i apologize for some of the gross pictures (laughs) Uh, that's all right that's part of art you know thinking things
0: are nasty (laughs) (laughs) of course well, thanks everyone out there for listening to this episode. Um, you can find our show notes at relay.fm slash pictorial. And if you weren't following along with the chapter art on what these things look like, I super recommend checking out the links and taking a look um, because they all have very interesting things going on. It's a very textural episode, I think, all of these art pieces. And um, you can also find us on Twitter or Instagram at pictorialpod. Um, and you can find me on Instagram
1: at quinstarose. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ArticulationsV. I'm also on YouTube as Articulations. And speaking of YouTube, we also have a YouTube channel, Pictorial Podcast, where we have uh, video versions of our audio episodes a little while after it comes out. Um, For this one, there will be a lot of very textural pictures that you can enjoy. Thanks for listening, Art
0: Enthusiasts.